It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. Welcome to another edition of CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. The Blue Jackets finished up the weekend with a couple of games in which they had to settle for one point. They went to Winnipeg on Friday night, tied the game with 14 seconds left in regulation, and then lost it very quickly in overtime. And then on Saturday night, the Blue Jackets had the lead until the final minute against the Minnesota Wild. The Wild tied the game, and they went on to win in overtime. So disappointing in some ways in both of those games, but in other ways, a lot of positives came out of those. And listen, it's not about moral victories. I understand that. John Tortorella used to say that all the time, but He was saying that about teams that were going to be in the playoffs and making playoff runs, or they were challenging for the playoffs. This team is technically mathematically alive, but it's not the same. And I think there were some really, really important lessons that were learned by the Blue Jackets over the weekend. Two big teams, two strong teams, and the Blue Jackets were able to come through and get a couple of points, although it wasn't without a cost. Zach Wierenski got injured in the first period of the game in Minnesota. He got injured pretty badly, and we'll have to wait and see what his status is going to be for the upcoming week or even weeks. But first, before I get to your questions, let me tell you about Telhio Credit Union. The people at Telhio Credit Union have been servicing the area for a long, long time, and I mean servicing their customers, making sure that you have everything that's going to help you make the most of your money, and then also giving back with community service in the communities where they have their branches. They have been very special in those regards, and that's why they've been around for such a long, long time. If you'd like to see the services that they offer, all you have to do is go to their website at tellhio.org. You can go ahead and click on the tab, surf around, see what they have that might be of interest to you, because I'm telling you, they're going to take care of you. They're going to treat you great at Telhio Credit Union. Telhio Credit Union is open to everyone in Central and Southwestern Ohio. They are federally insured by NCUA. All right, let's get to it. Lots of questions that you have sent my way here on this Monday, and we'll start with a voice question, as I usually do. Hi, Bob. It's Greg in Cleveland. All right, so the last time you and I spoke, we were talking about the multitude of injuries that both Elvis and Corpusalo had been going through, the time that they're always missing. And a coworker, of course... Corpus is done for the season now, but a coworker had brought up a unique perspective to me the other day. He said, do you think it's so much a case that these guys keep getting injured or that they're each battling through their own one injury that they accumulated earlier in the season? And I thought that was an interesting point. I hadn't considered that. So I wanted to get your take on that. Uh, what do you think the likelihood of that is, that it's more so just one thing that's been bothering them significantly versus uh, like accumulating all these injuries as as this season has gone on. Second thing, you did an interview on the Inside Edge about a month ago, give or take, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. I want to say it was the guy who was broadcasting the Jackets games before you came to town. But he had made this comment that, and I almost thought it was kind of sad, he said he doesn't watch the NHL much anymore because of the way the game has changed. Obviously less favorable in his eyes. So with that being said, have you noticed in your line of work a lot of these older school hockey guys getting pushed away from the game today because it's that more finesse style of play? And also, since you've called some high school games recently, have you noticed that finesse style of play trickle down to the high school level as well? As always, Bob, thank you very much. 
Well, Greg, thank you for sending me that question. Greg emailed that to me after recording a voice memo on his phone to bobbymack at bluejackets.com. And you can do that, too, on any upcoming Monday mailbag. All right, uh, let me just go through that in succession. You talked about the goaltender's injuries, and is it possible that it's been the same injury that has been nagging them throughout the course of the year and not a bunch of different injuries? I think in the case of Corpusalo, that is a very good possibility. I know that the hip injury that finally uh, he required surgery on is something he's been playing with for a while. He's been trying to play through it. So in his case... Uh, you have a very good argument with that, I would say, because uh, he has been, as I said, he's he's been bothered by it for a long time. So um, there may have been something else along the way, but I think this one, or I know this one in particular, has been something that has been there. So I would say with him, that's a good possibility. With Elvis, I'm not exactly sure if that's the case. It seems it's a couple of different things with Elvis as it's gone on throughout the season, but who knows? You know, they're, you know, they're very good at uh, upper body, lower body, and they don't uh, really get into the nuts and bolts of it. And that's fine. That's okay. So maybe it could be the case with Elvis as well. But I think his have been a couple of different things throughout the course of the season. Uh, The other two things that you asked about, I believe, I don't think it was George Matthews that said that about not watching games um, without going back. And and I I know it wasn't on the inside edge. It would have been on uh, one of the Friday interview editions of CBJ and 30. I think it was John Morasti, the former tough guy with the Syracuse Crunch uh, who was in Blue Jackets camp. Uh, I think it was him talking about the way the game has changed. He's not really interested in it. And that doesn't surprise me because, you know, he's an old-time hockey guy. He was a fighter. He didn't pull many regular shifts. He didn't score many goals. He went out, and his job was to be an enforcer and a protector for his team. So I think it was Johnny that said that. I don't have um, any concerns that some of the older people are being pushed away from the game because of the way the game is being played. Now, that being said, do, do they like it? Are they enthralled with this game of all speed and very little contact? I don't think most of them are. I'm not. I, I miss the physical play. Uh, I like when there is some physical play, depending on the circumstances. We can get into that in a few minutes here. But um, I, I don't. they're not going away from the game. I don't think they're turning away from it whatsoever. They just are slow to embracing the change. Don't get me wrong. They appreciate the speed. They appreciate the skill. Uh, They would, you know, they'd just like to see some more body-on-body contact. You know, when a guy goes from one end of the ice to the other end of the ice and he scores a highlight real goal, one of the questions usually is from people of that era, why didn't somebody put the body on him? Or I would have never even thought about making that play because I know if I would have come around behind the net with my head down like that, I would have been laid out. So, they're not going away from the game. It's just uh, slow to change in some cases. And, and maybe in other cases, it's not even slow to change. Maybe it's just they realize that the game is played now the way it's being played now. And it was a different era when they played it. So I have no concerns about them going away from the game. And the final question you asked about is the finesse angle moving into the high school game. Um, I am inclined to say no. And I will just say that because... In the games that I call, now it's in Central Ohio, so um, the skill level is greater in other areas of the country and even other areas of the state. You could make that argument, and you would be right about that. But in the games that I see, there are guys that cannot wait to light somebody up. In fact, I have seen games, high school games, where um, it has been a detriment to finish off a hit, where somebody has wanted to go after somebody else and finish their check and hammer them into the boards so badly 
that they take themselves out of position and they create a two-on-one back the other way just because they wanted to lay out a huge hit and just, you know, rattle the glass. I've seen that uh, plenty of times. So I do not think that finesse game is filtering all the way down to the high school level. There are some very skilled players, and uh, they some of them hit, some of them don't hit. That's fine, but I think when you get to the high school level, you're going to find a lot of kids that want to, jack somebody up if they get the opportunity. So um, the finesse game is not it is not NHL finesse when you get all the way down to that level. I can tell you that. So, Greg, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Uh, the other questions that I have coming in today are on Twitter, sent to me at Bobby Max Sports on Twitter. And let's start with Jody. She was the first one in with a question. And her question is, with Jonas Corposalo's recovery expected to be six months, how does this affect him having to go to Finland for his military duties and try to play next season? Jody, I don't know. I haven't looked into his military duties one iota. I I just, I don't care. I really don't care. They'll work it out. That My opinion is that these things always get worked out. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. I just don't care what's going to happen with that. I'm not trying to be mean about it. Uh, I know why you're asking the question, but I don't know if he's going to be here next year because he will be an unrestricted free agent. They would have to re-sign him before his contract ends at the end of June for him to even be a thought about what's going to happen here, quite frankly. So at this point, I don't know. And I just told you the contract part of it as far as uh, him playing uh, where that stands right here with the Blue Jackets. Uh, Logan Detweiler is next up, and Logan says, can the Blue Jackets still make the playoffs? They have 70-plus points. Can they? Yes. Yes, they are mathematically alive. Brad Larson said it the other day, I believe, in Winnipeg. He said, as long as we're mathematically alive, uh, we are going to approach this the same way every day, and even after we're not mathematically alive, we're still going to approach it the same way every day. Here's the problem, Logan. Here is the problem. Normally, 92, 90, 92, 93 points can get you in the playoffs. The Boston Bruins right now, oh, wait a minute, they're, they've moved up, so I, I shouldn't use them as an example. The Washington Capitals have the second wild card spot, and the Washington Capitals have 84 points, and they still have 15 games left to play. That's a potential of 114 points if they won every one of those games, which, of course, they will not. But my point is, they're going to be at 90 points after three more wins. They're going to get 100 points to get into the playoffs. I talked to Jake Voracek about this the other day, and he said it's the first time that he has ever seen where every team in the top eight is going to have 100-plus points. And he had a really good uh, reasoning for that, quite frankly. And as he was talking about it, I thought, yeah, you know what? That is, that's a really good point. And here's what his point was. There are some teams that have been so bad some teams that have been so non-competitive most, throughout most of the year, uh, some of them are starting to get competitive now, but throughout the majority of the year, they have just not been themselves. And there are three teams that fall into that. One of them is the New York Islanders, who have become hot as of late. Uh, the other one is the Philadelphia Flyers, who have just been awful all year. And the third one has been the most awful, and that is the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, if any of those three teams is playing the way they normally play, look at the Islanders. They were in the conference final last year. So whether they make the playoffs or not, if they're still competitive, and again, I know now that they're they're getting there now. I mean, they're sitting right behind the Blue Jackets, four points behind the Blue Jackets in the ninth spot 
in the conference. But throughout the majority of the year, when teams would go in and play them, they were just getting points because they were beating them. Same is true with Philly. Philly is terrible. 53 points on the year for them. Um, In in Montreal, they've just been god-awful all year long after going to the Stanley Cup final last year. So, you know, you had a team that was in the Eastern Conference final. You had a team that was in the Stanley Cup final, and they have both been brutal. And teams have rolled right over them and picked up points. And I thought Jake had a pretty good assessment of things when he said if any of those three teams – is more competitive like they normally are then the balance of power is different in the eastern conference i thought that was a really good assessment by him and uh, that's why he's played for a long time and he's a he's a really smart guy i mean he reads the room really really well so uh that was interesting to me but you know you you have um like i said you got 69 points uh your next point that you get you go over 70 as you said logan but Everybody's going to be over 100. Everybody is going to be over 100. It is, uh, it's just a different time. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange world here this year in the Eastern Conference. I mean, if the Blue Jackets were in the West with 69 points, uh, the final wildcard spot is Vegas with 76. I mean, they'd be right in the conversation and talking about it pretty heavily here. But they're not. They're in the East. So the, uh, the field is pretty much set as it stands right now. Uh, let's see. The next one is coming in from Ann Kilch. It says, how quickly with our own development, like Bean and Boquist, and, and with outside help, can we become a bigger and heavier defense? Is this something that you think can be completely addressed next year? The effort is pretty consistent. Now just need to get bigger and stronger. Well, that depends. I mean, if you're going to stay with just the same guys and not go to the outside then my inclination is to say, no, you can't do it by next year. Because I think Adam Boquist at 21 is going to take more than a year to get to that point. I think Jake Bean is going to take more than a year to get to that point. Uh, Dean Kukin, he's never going to be strong and physical, like a a big physical defenseman. He's going to be a good puck-moving defenseman. So, um, you know, Gabriel Carlson is big, but, you know, he doesn't translate that into, uh, into physical play. So you would have to go, in my opinion, you would have to go to the outside and get size on that blue line. Now, as you talk about that, it's a very easy thing to say. When you go to do it, what are you willing to do in order to get it? Do you have to trade? And do you have to trade somebody that you like so that you can get that person? Do you have to trade a pick that you like to get that person? Um or do you, do you find somebody in unrestricted free agency, perhaps? So what's it going to cost? Always remember that. It's easy to say, well, can we do this? Or how fast can you do this? Oh, there are ways to do it and speed it up. There are. But be careful because sometimes if you get a little bit antsy, and this is one thing about Yarmo, he's normally not antsy. He's very steady and he's very patient and he doesn't, he plays a good game of poker, right? I mean, he holds his cards really well, doesn't let you know what he has. Well, in this case, everybody knows what they have, but doesn't let you know what he's thinking and how he's going to try to to address things. So uh, he's really good at it. He doesn't get impatient. Sometimes if you do get impatient, you can make mistakes. So you got to, uh, 
you just got to be careful in that regard. And I feel very strongly in saying that he will be careful in that regard. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Rob the Nerd says, Why do you think the Blue Jackets struggle at the end of games when trying to keep a one-goal lead? I feel like every time I see them have to defend five-on-six, it's just a matter of time until the opposing team scores. Is it nerves or how the defense is structured? Well, I would say it's how the other team gets you out of your structure. Um, you know, depending upon who you're playing. Go back to Minnesota on Saturday night. Look, Kirill Kaprizov gets the goal. He is a really talented shooter. They've got an extra guy. They're able to keep the puck in the zone. If you can't clear it out of the, out of the zone, then you're in trouble. And they did a great job of keeping it in the zone. And then they have a guy with a really talented shot, a really uh, a really high-talented guy over there taking that shot with a good screen in front of him. So it's not the defensive structure. It's about how the other team forces you to get out of your defensive structure and they got to the net and they screened Elvis pretty simple right and that's the biggest thing so is it nerves it might be nerves a little bit you know it's funny because the Blue Jackets have been so good at getting those late goals themselves and then I do know what you mean there are games where you can see it right can't get it over the blue line or you get it out of the zone and it's an icing call or you miss the empty net um you know, and, and then it just starts to compound. And sometimes when you do that, you know, in some cases, you miss the net a couple of times, you take a couple of icing calls, all of a sudden you have uh, the same people trapped out on the ice and they're able to adjust to that and, and get a matchup that's a little bit more favorable too. So all of those things come into play on that. Uh, it's just frustrating. I, I know, I get it. It's frustrating. It seems like it happens all the time. Um it doesn't happen all the time. I, I think because I'm with you. I, I'm watching it last night. And I'm like, oh, you got to get it outside the, outside the blue line. You got to clear this thing, and they didn't clear it, and and they paid the price. But, um, it's a learning process too. It really is. It, it's a learning process. As much as I hate to say it, and as much as you hate to hear it, Michael Guest says, "I'm sure this will be the most asked question, but I will do it anyway." What happens with Corpusalo now with his injury? Thanks and keep up the great work. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. And I did touch on it a little bit earlier. Uh, what happens with him? He's done. He's done playing. Is he done playing for this franchise? Yes, unless he gets a contract extension, which the Blue Jackets could give him anytime up until the time that his contract expires on June the 30th. So they would have to present it. He would have to accept it. And uh, as we talked about earlier, six-month recovery that puts him at uh, late September before he's ready to go uh, that is during training camp so it's uh, you know it's I think it's dicey for him I feel bad for him I really do feel bad for him I feel bad for what this whole season has been for him which has been a train wreck it really has I feel bad for the organization who wanted to trade him and and get something out of him, and it's a very real possibility now that they won't get anything out of him because he will just leave as an unrestricted free agent. So that's where it is. That's where it goes. And it's uh, it's been a terrible year for Jonas in particular, and it stinks. It really stinks. But if he doesn't sign a contract here, he's going to sign a contract somewhere. He'll get a job. He's played long enough in this league, and he's done enough good things, and I feel that he'll get a job. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If it happens to be here, I am fine 
with that. Speaking of that, Coleman Groove has this question. Would Yarmo ever trade Elvis this offseason? I know it's been a horrible year on and off the ice, but I'm not sure if we have a clear number one goalie. We are going to get nothing for Corpusalo if we don't sign him. Yes, I just said that part. Um, would he trade Elvis this offseason? That would be, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say no, because w- what if somebody made you a deal that you weren't expecting? And, you know, what if somebody gets in the playoffs and they just, their goaltending is such an issue, and maybe it's not the first time, maybe it's the second or third time, and maybe they feel like they have to do something with a big splash. Because, again, Elvis's contract is favorable. Five years, $25 million, that's that's favorable for a salary cap. Um, the thing is, the only reason I hesitate about this, if Daniil Tarasov had been healthy all year, and if he had spent a lot of time here, and if he had started to show that he could potentially be the number one goaltender on this team by next year, then I would say that that would be a pretty, well, I, I wanted to say pretty real possibility, but I don't know. I mean, that's up to Yarmo. But if, if Tarasov was looking like he was going to be the number one goaltender and he could be coming right out of the gate next year, then, you know, if it was me and somebody was interested and I was going to get a good deal, I would certainly consider that. Now, as it stands, Tarasov's coming back from that hip surgery, and he is not going to be ready until just before training camp. It will probably take him some time to get reacclimated. Uh, I think at some point during the season next year, he could very well get to the point where he could become the starter on this team if he continues with the progress that he was making before he got injured. I think that's very possible. So then what do you do? Well, then you, as my grandfather used to say all the time, you cross that bridge when you come to it. But right now, if you take a look at what's under that bridge, is you've got Elvis, and then you've got Corpusalo potentially leaving as an unrestricted free agent. Um, where are you going to go from there? So if you trade Elvis, then you're going to have nothing, and you're not sure what Tarasov is going to be and when he's going to be ready and, and all those things. For those reasons, I would say it's unlikely that there would be any talk or any movement of Elvis during this coming off season. Now, could that change as Tarasov continues to develop? I think it could change because Elvis is, he's shown this already. He's a guy that has to be the starter. He's shown it in my opinion. He has to be the starter. He's so much better when he's the starter and he knows he's going to play all the time than when he has to sit and wait and he doesn't know when he's going to play again. So if Tarasov gets to that point, that creates a potential problem between the two of them. And again, those problems can be good problems. If you have two good goalies and you can flip one for something that you need, then that's a good thing. But as it stands right now, Elvis is the goaltender and there's nobody behind Elvis at this point in time uh, without re-signing guys because I, I believe Barube was just signed to a one-year deal. So, you know, you can you can always sign guys like that, or you can go out and you can get a Brian Elliott-type player that's going to be a backup and he knows his role and he's going to play, you know, 20, 25, 30 games, whatever it is. Uh, you can always do that. But again, a lot of it's going to hinge upon Tarasov and what his health looks like and 
um, you know, how ready he is to go by the beginning of training camp. But, you know, again, I don't think, to go back to the original question, I don't think that Elvis going anywhere this summer is something that I even remotely could think would happen this year. I just don't. Uh, Let me see here. The JT3 says, Do you think the Russia-Ukraine conflict affected the trade scenarios for the Blue Jackets? Uh, The KHL-NHL relationship might give us question marks about our future prospects, I thought. Hard to predict if the players can come over from Russia, I would imagine. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if that factored into anything. Um, The trade scenarios, I would say no, because when you're making trades... Well, I guess you're saying if somebody had a prospect that's playing over there, like the Blue Jackets have Marchenko and Voronkov, and you weren't sure if you were going to be able to bring them over eventually, maybe that's what you're saying. But I, I don't, I don't know if it did. Um, perhaps, but I, I would think not, to be honest with you. And I, I would think in the Blue Jackets' case that it really didn't, because again, Domi was the only guy that was going to be traded. He really was. Or he was the only guy that had value. And I said this last week. He was the only unrestricted free agent that had real value. No offense to Dean Kukin, who's a fine player. But again, an under-the-radar player that who was going to give up something, you know, big for Dean Kukin? Nobody. Who was going to give up something big for Jonas Corposalo with the year that he has had? Nobody. So I don't think it I don't think it affected the Blue Jackets whatsoever when it came to that. So that's my opinion. I, I don't know. I, without uh, without asking outright, I really don't know, but I don't think so. Um, Kent Johnson. I watched Kent Johnson a little bit uh, play against uh, Quinnipiac, and Michigan survived that game, and they, uh, we, they survived it, I say, but uh, Quinnipiac had a, uh, a rally in the third period, but Michigan still won at 7-4. to four. So if you want to say surviving, that's a pretty good way to survive. Just put up seven. So Kent Johnson won't be here for the game against the Islanders tomorrow. <laughs> Doggone it. Um, so they're going to the Frozen Four, and, and of course that's good. That That's really good because when you get players coming in, especially if they can come off a, a big playoff run and a championship, that's great. Zach Wierenski is exhibit A, comes out of college at Michigan, goes right to Cleveland. They win a Calder Cup. He comes to the National Hockey League next year, and he's never left. And he's the Blue Jackets. Again, uh, most you can argue he's the most important player, especially with Boone Jenner out. He is the most important player. By the way, I, I know I have another question here that I skipped over at the moment, and i got to go back to, speaking of Zach Wierenski. So, but anyway... Michigan's going to the Frozen Four, and they're going to play for the NCAA championship, so it'll be a longer wait on Kent Johnson. That is my whole point to that. Kendra Williams has this question. Using the example of the Minnesota Wild game in reference to heavy physical play, do you see the Blue Jackets looking to bring in a quote-unquote enforcer to the team? Kendra, this is a terrific question, and this goes back to uh, Greg's question earlier about the finesse play and not the physical play. So I'm going to answer it like this. Do I see them looking to bring in an enforcer? I hope so. Because even though the fighting is way down in the league, it's still 
there is still a need to have somebody that is going to be there for your teammates. There have been so many times this year I've seen a Blue Jackets player get knocked around. I saw Cole, uh, Cole Sillinger get laid out by Ryan Dezingle. There was no response to it whatsoever. I saw Jake Voracek get hit by Felino. There was no response to it. Um, in the wild game, when Middleton takes out Wierenski, there was no response. I mean, in that game, there were a lot of a lot of uh, pileups and get-togethers and scrums and all that stuff, and and I was surprised how many there were, to be honest with you. But somebody that could actually do something physically, I would love to see that. You know, I was watching the Avalanche in the wild play, and Colorado, a lot of their personnel were there on Saturday night for our game against Minnesota. And, and they got to watch this new look Minnesota Wild team after the trade deadline, and they're big, and they're strong, and they're not afraid to hit you. But um, in that game yesterday, it was Miko Rantanen was coming up the ice. Matt Dumba steps into him, throws his shoulder right up under his chin, similar to what happened to Zach Wierenski, except the way that Wierenski got hit, it was much, much worse. And Rantanen, full speed, shoulder right up in the face, Drops down to the ice. Nathan McKinnon goes right over to Matt Dumba and fights him right away. You know, shades of Nick Foligno when he was the captain on this team. When there was a time and a place for it, Nick was there to put the gloves down and do that job. And Nathan McKinnon did that against Matt Dumba. He did pretty well against him too, by the way. I don't don't want to say beat him up pretty good, but in today's hockey fights, he did beat him up pretty good. So that was good to see. And... I would like to see that. I, and I do think it's needed. I think there is a point where you have got to have somebody that is going to stand up for the players on your team and the skill players, the Wierenskis, the Sillingers, the Lineas. Those guys should never have to fight their own battles. There should be somebody to fight those battles. And again, it's not three, four, five, six times a night like it used to be back in the day. Maybe it's three, four, five, six times a year. But it's valuable, especially when you're a team that is ready to go to the playoffs. It's valuable. I would have had no problem if they would in, – in the old days, I think this would have happened. Brett Gallant is playing in Cleveland with the Monsters. And I know he's in his early 30s. And is he an NHL skater? Probably not. Is he an NHL player? You can make the argument, probably not. But guess what? He is tough as the day is long, and he scares the heck out of people. And yesterday, or um, sorry, Saturday in Minnesota, if there would have been a press release saying that he was getting called up and he was going to make his NHL debut, I would have loved it. Because that team, there's enough guys that know the name, they would have been afraid and thought better about doing something like making a hit like the one that happened to Wierenski. Now, he's on an AHL contract. You would have had to sign him to an NHL contract. There's a lot of a lot of hurdles you'd have to jump through or jump over and a lot of a lot of stuff you'd have to do. And I understand why they didn't do it. I, I do. I do. But that doesn't mean I didn't wish that they did it, quite frankly. So at some point, look, you play in the East. Tom Wilson's in your division. Ryan Reeves is in your division. Maybe you weren't good enough of a team this year to have to worry about those guys. But at some point, you're going to be. And at some point, 
You don't want Kent Johnson getting knocked all over the ice. You don't want Cole Sillinger getting knocked all over the ice. You don't want Zach Wierenski getting knocked all over the ice. You don't want Patrick Laine getting knocked all over the ice. You don't want Oliver Bjorkstrand getting knocked all over the ice. So, yes, I would like to see it. I don't know if they're looking at it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not talked about after what we saw in Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised if there were players in the room that would like to talk about it and see if it's possible to find somebody of that nature, to be honest with you. So I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, you've got my vote for it. Tell you that right now. You got my vote. All right, the Blue Jackets are back on the ice tomorrow night. They'll take on the New York Islanders at Nationwide Arena. I mentioned earlier the Islanders are they're getting better. They're getting back to where they were supposed to be all year long. Last time the Blue Jackets went to their building, they got beat. So this is the first game of a home-and-home, home, actually. Blue Jackets will play here on Tuesday and then go to Long Island and play against the Islanders again on Thursday. Puck will drop at 7 o'clock. Our pregame coverage will begin at 6.30 tomorrow night on the Blue Jackets Radio Network. It also begins at 6.30 on Valley Sports Ohio. Thanks for your questions today. Great as always. I appreciate it. That'll do it for this Monday Mailbag Edition of CBJ and 30 presented by Tell Ohio Credit Union. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.